It's that time. Your fix is here. College football is a year-round discussion with these two. Here's J.C. and Morgan. Mike Morgan of ESPN and J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports have you covered. Beginning right now. Welcome, everybody. It is another installment of J.C. and Morgan. Mike Morgan coming to you live from Studio C. That's right. We, we moved it from upstairs to downstairs, J.C. So, uh, <laughs> it's, so we've got some new uh, gadgets here. We've got a new microphone. Hopefully the sound quality is a little bit better. Uh, J.C. Sherbert, you know, from 24-7 Sports. Uh, I'm with ESPN, SEC Network, among other things, and uh, we are ready to do episode 169, last one with Matt Berry of ESPN, uh, had great response, and we'll continue with some uh, great guests. We'll continue with some great guests here this week with Phil Steele. We have Phil on every year. Uh, I've told this story before, Phil, before you became a household name and before you started producing kind of the Bible of college football for college football fans and announcers and everybody alike, uh, you were, you were not a big name guy. Uh, you're a great story, but I, I was working at a radio station hosting a show and a DJ came into my studio of a, like a country music station. She said, Hey Mike, I, somebody just, you probably have more use for it than I do. And I said, well, yeah, you're probably right. Give it to me. I'll look at it. And of course we've seen Lindy's and Athlon and everything else, but this was, it was clearly different. That was like 20 years ago, Phil. And obviously it has grown exponentially since then. So kudos to you for uh, uh, providing all of us some great information. Well, I appreciate that, Mike. And uh, yeah, what we did back in the beginning, uh, when we started the magazine back in 1995, 28 years ago, was we'd send them out to all the radio stations out there just hoping to get the magazine in people's hands. And my thought process was, Mike, once you get one in your hands and see the amount of information in there, that you have to have one each and every year. And and basically, that's what's helped it grow from being just a name on the shelf, one of 20 preseason college football magazines, to being the premier college football magazine out there. So that's an awesome story, though. I appreciate you sharing that with me. Yeah, no, and, and, and you're right. Smart strategy because it became an addiction for people like me, and then it spread like wildfire, uh, and the rest, as they say, is history. What was the big – COVID, of course, provided its own challenges, and, and that's a nightmare that none of us want to relive uh, for a number of reasons. But what was the biggest challenge for you now because you've got the transfer portal and rosters are changing more than they ever have before and you're putting together depth charts. So how much more work have you had to put into this and has that delayed your your calendar at all in terms of getting it out there? Yeah, well, the beautiful thing is this year they closed the transfer portal on May 1st. So anybody leaving had to declare by May 1st. And we go to the press June 8th. We were not able to, we were able to capture all of those players leaving. And then the majority of the players that signed, we got those also. And, and let me take you through the process, Mike, because it has changed from five years ago. Uh, go back and we write the magazine in a three write through process. And the first one is a postseason write through. 
where I've watched every game during the season and listened to broadcasts like yours and always enjoyed those. Uh, and then the postseason right there, I read through every article that was written about that team for the year. Really gives me in a good ebbs and flows of each position. Then I write each position. What kind of shape were they coming into the year? What happened during the year? What are we looking for for next year? And at that point, after the postseason write-through process, I had USC, a team that was 4-8 and eight last year, had a first-year head coach and only 11 returning starters, middle of the road in the Pac-12 South. And then the second write-through process is the pre-spring write-through, where we get the uh, updated rosters so we can make all the moves, also get the freshmen added in, and they started to move up a little bit at that point. But the third write-through is after I talked to the head coaches, and this year I talked to 120 of the 131 head coaches. And so I'm talking to Coach Lincoln Riley. I Ironically, the day they signed Jordan Addison, the wide receiver uh, from Pitt, now all of a sudden his quarterback is Caleb Williams, who was my number one quarterback out of high school and started at Oklahoma last year. Mario Williams, a wide receiver, was my number two wide receiver out of high school and started at Oklahoma. Jordan Addison was a Blitnikoff winner. Travis Dye, a thousand-yard rusher at running back. And then when I talked to Coach Riley, I was questioning the offensive line, and he told me he felt real good about the top-end experience and didn't expect to have this much talent. Defensively, he brought in about 12 transfers, including Shane Lee, who started 13 games at Alabama as a freshman. And now, all of a sudden, USC vaulted up to my number one most improved team and I'm capable of double-digit wins this year. So it just shows you how the process has changed. Uh, that didn't happen five years ago. But now a team can go from middle of the road to all the way up there. I, You know, we have somebody walk in my office, it seems, every day during the seven months of the magazine process and say, hey, Phil, this guy hit the portal. Or, hey, Phil, this guy signed here. And then you have to adjust your power ratings on each position every day. We, we have become accustomed, and I, and I try not to fall into this because I don't want to be a buzzkill for, for the upcoming seasons, right? But, and I, I've always maintained the beauty of college football is that it's not just an obsession with who's going to play for the national title. It's who's going to win your conference. It's who, what programs that are in uh, transition can get to a bowl game. What, what programs can get to 10 wins or beat their in-state rivals. So it, there's different levels of enthusiasm for different schools. So you don't have to be in the college football playoff. Uh, well, Mike, I think we're cut from the same cloth. I, you know, I give the same amount of uh, write-up write in the magazine on James Madison or Akron or Texas State that I do in Alabama and USC, two full pages. And I can, on a Thursday night, watch uh, you know a MAC game between – Akron and Bowling Green and be excited about it. So, yes, I do think all college teams are important. And I, it, you're right, the, the landscape is changing. It seems like uh, what was two years ago, we might have thought five, 16-team super conferences is now heading to two or three super conferences. And you wonder what it's going to do for the rest of college football. So it is a concern of mine. But I'll tell you, the one thing about college football is it changes something that happens constantly. And, uh, you know, I'll go back to the first year of the magazine, believe it or not, the Southwest Conference was in my magazine that first year. And then uh, they disbanded, and half the teams went to the Big 12 and half went to the SEC. And at that time, you're thinking, what kind of apocalypse are we having now? Uh, I just think college football will survive and thrive. But, uh, yes, that is a concern, Mike. Yeah, Texas and Oklahoma, of course, heading into the SEC here in a couple of years, which, uh, honestly, Phil, I never thought I would see the Longhorns uh, join the SEC. I always sort of heard Oklahoma. 
Uh, but uh, I thought Texas would be more likely in the Big Ten or even the Pac-12 if they left the Big 12. So uh, th- those are some things. And, 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 you know, you mentioned the Southwest Conference. Uh, to me, you know, the, uh, there's there was a backlash from traditionalists like myself and Mike and and yourself probably uh, with all the expansion and stuff. But, but to me, when I looked closer at it, Texas and Arkansas is coming back as a rivalry. Texas right. and Texas A&M, A&M is coming back. A&M is going to play Oklahoma again. You know, they had some bad blood. Uh, Oklahoma and Arkansas is a border uh, game that isn't played a whole lot, but hey, they'll still uh, they'll still get after it. So, so to me, it almost uh, gives you some more good traditional matchups. I mean, think about Texas and LSU, uh, what that's going to become uh, once those two teams come in the league. Yeah, and you know, I, I think the main thing for college football is let's keep every all the teams involved. Let's not just turn it into the top forty or fifty teams. Uh, I think we keep all the all the teams involved. That makes it even better. But you're right. Your tradition. I mean, look at Nebraska going to the Big Ten, mm. and uh, you know their rivalries have completely changed. Yeah, exactly. And in recruiting too, they they recruit more Ohio, and they used to recruit California and Texas heavily, and. Now it's kind of toward the Midwest. It's very interesting. Well, speaking of the SEC, um, you know, there's a lot of transfer quarterbacks in the league this year. Uh, what do you make uh, of that very important position uh, in that league? And I know you've written about it and all that, but uh, give us kind of a breakdown of, of how you feel uh, the signal callers, maybe outside of Bryce Young, will, will shake out this year uh, in the Southeastern Conference. Yeah, and I think there's plenty of talent there. You take a look at a guy like Will Rogers, who throws for a ton of yards in the Mike Leach offense, and he's going to throw for a ton of yards this year. Talking to Coach Leach, uh, the one thing he wants to get done is have Rogers throw the ball down the field more often. If he does that, he may put up even more yardage than last year, bigger yards and less plays. Uh, Hendon Hooker is a guy that's leading a, a Tennessee offense. They were a much different offense once he took over, and last year, uh, Tennessee averaged uh, 39 points per game this year. My computer, and in the front of the magazine, I have computer projections for the season. You'd be amazed how close these things come. But uh, it shows Tennessee with 45 points per game and 507 yards per game. So I think you're going to see them uh, be a, even a more explosive throwing the football. He'll be among the leaders. Anthony Richardson is a guy I'm really excited about. Uh, I think he's got all the tools you want. He's just young at the position, but in the Billy Napier offense, I think he'll be, he'll be one of the top quarterbacks in the league. And I haven't even talked about Stetson Bennett, the most disrespected quarterback in college football. And all he did last year was have two of his best games uh, in the playoff. And, you know, Bryce Young's your front runner, the course Heisman winner everybody talks about. I think A&M's at better, a much better position quarterback-wise. Remember last year, Haynes King began the year as the starting quarterback and was doing well, then got injured and was out for the year. They had to go to Zach Calzada. Well, this year, King is back, and they also had LSU's quarterback in Max Johnson. K.J. Jefferson is a guy you could put in your top four. He's got size, arm strength, mobility, everything you want out of a quarterback. He's going to be highly productive. Another guy you could have put in your top four, Jackson Dart or Luke Altmaier for Ole Miss, a couple of VHT quarterbacks in a Lane Kiffin offense 
I think they're going to do great. So I think there's a lot of great quarterbacks in the SEC, and it's tough when you're doing an all-conference team just picking out your top four quarterbacks in the league because you could easily make a case for eight. And, heck, I didn't even mention Spencer Rattler at uh, South Carolina, who was the number one quarterback last year heading into the season, or Will Levis, who looks like a first-round draft pick quarterback <laughs> at Kentucky. So I mean, it is a loaded conference quarterback-wise. Yeah, I, I think, like you said, one through eight, one through nine, uh, everybody would probably go with the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, number one, and Bryce Young. But it, it's much like the SEC's Eastern Division, two through six, the <laughs> moment a hat. Like I, Hooker was terrific last year for Tennessee. Can he follow it up? Can he get better? Jefferson flashed. Richardson in his one start, not so good, but the athletic skills are off the charts good. Nobody talks about Will Rogers, who might throw for 5,000 this year. Uh, and then you finished off with, with Spencer Rattler, who could be the ultimate wild card, not just in the, in the, in the conference, but really the, the country. So I imagine you were, you were pulling some hair out going one through four like you normally do on first team, second team, third, fourth SEC quarterbacks this year. Yeah, if somebody would say to me, hey, you left uh, Bennett off or you left Rattler off, I'd be like, you know what, you're right, but who are you going to take off my list? You know, So it, it was really tough. And let me give you another story, Mike, or a quick one. Uh, the SEC West, uh, I had to do the magazine in three, uh, three write-throughs. The second write-through after I finished that this year, which is usually um, March, early April, uh, before I talk to the coaches, Here's how I rank the uh, SEC West. Number one, Alabama. Number two, Texas A&M. And then a five-way tie for third place. Who do you pick third? Who do you pick last? It's almost impossible to decide. I, eventually, I knew I couldn't have a five-way tie for third, so I had to make some decisions you know, in the final write-through process. But uh, it's, the SEC is very competitive. I don't know if you know this, but I think it's the best conference of college football. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I've heard that a place or two. In fact, yeah. I, I, I might have even said it on a, on a network uh, labeled the SEC Network. Yeah. Uh, I, I dropped out there for a second, Phil, but did you mention who, where you have the Eastern division stacked up? Yeah. In the, in the East, I've got uh, Georgia actually a double digit favorite in every game this year. I think if anybody's going to get past Georgia uh, with that potential, I'll take you back to two years ago when Lane Kiffin and, and Ole Miss were taking on Bama Ole Miss didn't have the talent Alabama did, but that offense gave them a puncher chance of winning the game. I think they even led the game in the fourth quarter and then ended up losing. Tennessee's got that chance this year with their offense. They've got a puncher's chance in every game. So I think they would be the one team that potentially could challenge them. But, you know, that game's at Georgia. I've got Georgia double-digit favorite in every game. I think Florida's going to be a vastly improved team. They're my number two most improved team in the country. And then I think Kentucky and South Carolina have to be put in that mix. The two teams I won put in the mix for that number two spot would be Missouri and Vanderbilt. Well, I think both will be improved this year. I think they're a step behind those other ones. So you have Tennessee second? Yeah, I have Tennessee and Florida okay. tied for second in the tied, East okay. this year. Gotcha. I, I should point out, uh, I'm in Atlanta and this is a credit to you, Phil. I went by a Barnes and Noble to get your magazine this year, as I always do this time of year, and it was sold out. So I, <laughs> I'm working blind here. It's part of the fun. Your, your answers are going to be fresh because I have no idea what you're going to say with uh, who you have ranked uh, where. I, I think that, and I know the other thing you do in your magazine is you break down every game. I, right in week two, 
Kentucky at Florida. If you lose that game, you're not finishing second in the East. At least it's going to be very hard to do so. So we're going to have answers to a lot of questions really early on. Yeah, and really, you know, you talked about the East and ranking the positions. Tennessee, Florida, Kentucky, South Carolina battling for that number two spot. When you look at Kentucky, I look at their schedule. And in Vegas right now, Kentucky is an underdog at Florida. They're an underdog at Ole Miss. They're an underdog at Tennessee. And they're an underdog home against Georgia. And if you go four and four, you probably finished fourth in the SEC. So Kentucky, just much like last year, Mike, I don't know if you remember, but I didn't have Florida in my preseason top 25, and I got beat up all yeah. summer long by Florida Gator fans. They, they wrote articles about it. They did radio shows about it. Phil Steele's an idiot, doesn't have Florida in the top 25. Now, that worked out pretty good, and unfortunately, after the season, nobody said a thing about that. Right. But with Kentucky this year, I've been, I've been getting hit hard by the Big Blue Nation because I picked them fourth in the East, and they were picked second by the media. But the schedule really is, is the part of it where I think they'll be an underdog in four games this year. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to lose all four games, but uh, that, that's the reason I've got them fourth. Yeah, Kentucky, uh, their overall record is always going to skew, I think, better than their conference record. Their, their, their scheduling philosophy up there, uh, it's two MAC teams, uh, FCS, and Louisville. <laughs> and I think as long, <laughs> as long as Mark Stoops is there, they're going to hang out in that 6-10 to 10 win range. And uh, I know they're hoping for a breakthrough year. And I, and I can't rule it out. Uh, that game at Florida, I think, second week of the season is going to be huge. Uh, you know, back to the West, I, I know Arkansas is a very trendy pick um, to finish uh, in a challenging position. And I know that Texas A&M uh, in second place uh, is kind of the the standard. Uh, I look, though, A&M has only nine starters coming back. Uh, I know they're going to be better at quarterback with Max Johnson or if Haynes King takes it. Uh, Arkansas's offense, I think, is going to be loaded. I, I, lo- I love their backup quarterback, if that makes any – Malik Hornsby, if that makes any sense. Um, but they lost a lot of starters on defense. Uh, and that defense uh, under Barry Odom ha- has been tough uh, at times during Sam Pittman's tenure in Fayetteville. What do you make of the Razorbacks and Aggies, Phil, uh, this season, um, you know, just in terms of how you see their seasons playing out. Well, you know, I go through the the rosters every year, and if there's any team in the SEC that has the depth of an Alabama or Georgia, it's clearly Texas A&M. You get to the third string with Texas A&M, and they have what I call VHTs, or very highly touted players. Jimbo Fisher's had five great recruiting classes. Their problem this year is they're a little inexperienced. They come in number 124 in my experience chart. As an example, they lose their entire defensive line from last year. Uh, so they are very young on the D-line, but they are so talented. And by the time they get around to play in Alabama, they'll have five games under their belt. You hope that this young team will have uh, gained it. But I think talent-wise, to me, a and clearly the third-best team in the SEC. Now, with Arkansas, I-, I just have to tip my hat to Sam Pippen. I'm going to go back to Bill Snyder at Kansas State. You know, I think the first, uh, in 95 and 96, 97, the first five years of the magazine, every year my power rings would say, okay, K-State's going to win three games. K-State's going to win five games. And every year Bill Snyder would win two or three games more. So eventually when I started writing the magazine, I would just automatically say, okay, all my power rings, my nine sets of power rings say they're going to win seven games. So I'm going to pick them to win nine because that's Bill Snyder. And I'm getting that same drift out of Sam Pippen so far. I remember his first year, covid 
first-year head coach, no time with the team, playing on a complete SEC schedule. They were an underdog in all 10 games that year. And how many did they win? They won three. They could easily have won three others, they three close losses during the year. And then last year, I thought, okay, toughest schedule in the country. They'll be fortunate to get to a bowl game. They might get to seven wins. And then they go out and dominate Texas and Texas A&M early in the season. Uh, so I think Sam Pittman's doing a phenomenal job there. Uh, as you mentioned, K.J. Jefferson back at quarterback. The running back core is uh, solid. The offensive line is one of the best in the country. And defensively, remember Jalen Catalan got injured last year midseason. He's back after missing the last seven games. That's a big plus for the defense overall. So it's a talented team. I think their season's going to mirror last year. Remember last year they started out 4-0, had a rough middle part of the season and finished strong. This year I think they start out 3-0, then they play A&M, Alabama, at Mississippi State, at BYU. I think they absorb some losses there, but the final four games are all wins. So I think they can get close to last year's nine-win total, but I've got them tied for third in the SEC West. Phil, you mentioned, you know, some of your vernacular, the VHTs, you've got the PH numbers, they're all kind of uh, composite recruiting rankings in a way. Uh, so you look at it at a, at a very nuts and bolts way, which I like. There, there's no room for subjectivity per se or bias. It's a just look, here's the raw data, put it in and here's what it spits out. So when people look at Georgia and Alabama right now, clearly the favorites to win their respective divisions again. You mentioned A&M you have as the third most talented team. How far is the gap between those top two and, say, not just A&M, but LSU, uh, Auburn, Ole Miss, uh, Tennessee, Carolina, Florida? Like, How big of a gap are we talking about? Because it feels more than ever like that gap has grown. Yeah, I, I think it has. Uh, this year, for example, uh, what I do, Mike, is after I write the magazine, then I go through the entire season game by game, and I come up with who I favored and by how much. I've got Alabama a double-digit favorite in every game. I've got Georgia a double-digit favorite in every game. So I think those teams are clearly ahead. I do think in A&M's case that they're not far behind. Their problem is experience level, and it wouldn't surprise me if next year A&M was at the level of Alabama and Georgia, and I may even pick them to win the West next year. It's a long ways away, but I'm really happy with what Jimbo Fisher has been compiling there at Texas A&M. But, you know, right now, I think Alabama clearly looks like the best team in the country. They've got the Heisman Trophy winner back in Bryce Young. They've got the best defensive player in college football in Will Anderson. They've got a veteran offensive line. In fact, here's an interesting stat for you, Mike. I know you didn't have the magazine yet. Uh, Alabama's weakest position in my ratings up front is offensive line, which is 13th best in the country. (laughs) Now, there are a majority of teams that don't even have a position ranked 13th best in the country, and yet that's Alabama's weakest. They're 2, 5, 10, 13, 11, 1, 6, 9, and uh, that's their rankings up front. So it's a loaded team. Now, with Georgia, uh, remember last year they had one of the best defenses ever, and they lose eight star, eight players to the NFL draft, five first-round draft picks. Last year, they allowed 10 points per game, which in this era of offensive football is unheard of. This year, I think they take a step back, but my computer says they go take a step back to allowing 16 points per game, mm. and that's actually still number one in the country. So, you know, they play three deep. They go three straight. They play three uh, units on the defense during the games to so play a lot of players. They have a lot of talent. I think they're still going to be strong defensively this year and offensively. 
they got the quarterback in Stetson Bennett that uh, all he does is go out and win football games. He can hurt you running or passing, and uh, they've got one of the best offensive lines in the country as well. Phil, what do you make of uh, kind of switching gears uh, to the Big 12 uh, as we count down out there? I know we have some Texas fans that listen uh, to the show. Uh, what do you think of the, of the Longhorns' chances this year? Uh, I like their offensive skill. Uh, heck, I like their talent. Um, it, it, I think intangible things ha- have done them in, but uh, sort of the word that we get out of Big 12 country in Austin is that this could be a, a big breakthrough year for Sarkeesian. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting, JC, and, and Mike, you just talked about it. I have nine sets of power ratings, and many times they give me different forecasts on the teams, and then you have to go through and say, okay, which one am I going to go with? And with Texas, on my nine sets of power ratings, I believe three of them actually had them the best team in the Big 12 and winning it. And so, you know, you had to look at those power ratings and say, okay, what am I going to do? Then you had to factor in the, well, Texas's expectations are always high and they seem to underachieve every year. But then you also throw in the fact that almost every second-year coach I've ever talked to has told me the same story. We're in so much better shape than we were the first year. You know, now we know the players' strengths and weaknesses. The players know the schemes. I've had a first full recruiting class. And you could say that about Steve Sarkeesian this year. So the talent's there. I think if the defense could get playing uh, better than it did down the stretch last year, they've got the quarterback. I think Quinn Ewers wins the job. They've got the best set of running backs in the country. They've got an offensive line that should be among the best in the country in a dangerous receiving core. I really like Isaiah Nair from uh, Wyoming. I think he's going to come in and do extremely well on team with Whittington, Worthy, uh, and Hall. That's, that really is an explosive receiving core. They have the talent to get there. Now, I went with Oklahoma to win the Big 12 this year. Uh, with the Sooners, I think that last year, they were an inexperienced team taking on experienced teams like Baylor and Oklahoma State, which had practically everybody back. This year, they get those two teams at home, and they're on equal level experience-wise. So I actually have Oklahoma favored in all their games this year. Keep in mind, they're, while they have a transfer quarterback in Dylan Gabriel, in 2019, he's a guy that put up big-time stats at UCF. His offensive coordinator that year was Jeff Levy. Not learning a new system. He knows the Jeff Levy system. They've got one of much improved offensive line, and Brett Venables knows defense. So I went with Oklahoma winning the Big 12, and then I went with a three-way tie for second. Baylor, Oklahoma State, and Texas are all in there, and it wouldn't surprise me if Texas actually got there. Like I said, three of my nine sets of power rings call for him to win the Big 12. We're talking with Phil Steele here on JC and Morgan, presented by Blue Delta. Go to bluedeltajeans.com. Each pair of jeans handmade in the U.S. to fit you and only you. Pretty soon, Phil, we're going to be uh, talking about the Big Ten preview, and we're going to be talking about Southern Cal. But for the time being, they're still in the Pac-12 <laughs> or the Pac-10 and the Pac-whatever is left at this point. Uh, it's it's a it's a sexy pick to kind of go with Pac-12, go with Southern Cal to win the league because of the new coach, because of the transfers, because of all the hype and hoopla surrounding that program. But if you really uh, put them under a microscope, there's a reason why they had a coaching change. So where do you forecast Southern Cal this year? Well, I do have USC uh, as my number one most improved team in the country, but uh, to me, the winner of the Pac-12 South, I have Utah. And Utah is a team that we saw them in the Rose Bowl against Ohio State. They started out slow last year, but then they switched their quarterbacks to Cam Rising. 
Cam Rising is uh, back again this year. They've got a deep set of running backs. And the one thing about Whittingham teams, they always have a strong offense and defensive line. They have my number six offensive line, number 17 defensive line. Basically a top 10 offense, top 10 defense. They get USC at home. They do have to play UCLA and Oregon on the road. But keep in mind, last year they beat Oregon 38-7 and 38-10. to And a USC, UCLA, I should say, only has – Two returning starters on defense, and Utah beat them 44-24 last year. So it wouldn't surprise me if Utah actually ran the table, won the Pac-12. And I'll tell you this, if you have an undefeated Pac-12 champ at the end of the year, as much maligned as the Pac-12 has been this offseason, I think they make the playoff. Yeah, and they, they open at Florida, too. So if they go undefeated, that that should be a, a pretty quality win on the road to open the season. Uh, for the Utes, yeah. Uh, all right, anybody going to catch Ohio State? Ohio State, if there's a team out there for me, Phil, that I think could beat Bama this year and win the national championship, uh, it's the Buckeyes. They, they just have, they're loaded. Um, they, just speaking about great recruiting, uh, Ryan Day's kind of picked, picked up where Urban Meyer left off. Um, anybody going to catch them in the Big Ten, in your opinion? And uh, what do you look uh, look at them to do once they get to the playoff, if they do? Yeah, and I agree with you 100%, J.C. I think when you look at uh, uh, Ohio State this year, they have the talent to play with Bama. They've got the best offense in the country, three Heisman Trophy candidates at uh, on offense, and C.J. Stroud, at quarterback, Travion Henderson at running back, and then Jackson Smith, Najiba at uh, the receiver spot. They've got a much improved offensive line and a vastly improved defense with Jim Knowles there. He's got a lot of talent to work with. Uh, Ohio State will be a big favorite in every game. In Vegas right now, they're a double-digit favorite in every single game. It wouldn't surprise me, J.C., if at the end of the season, Michigan was 11-0 and when they went to play Ohio State. Michigan is a team that is not up to last year, but they only have three road games prior to playing Ohio State. They're against Indiana, Rutgers, and Iowa. The Iowa's a tough one, but they're going to be favored in all their games this year up until that Ohio State game. But both Vegas and myself have Ohio State a two-touchdown favorite over Michigan. So I do think Ohio State is the clear best team in the Big Ten this year. So I agree with you there. You mentioned one of the reasons why Ohio State is so good, and that is the position of wide receiver. I, I can't help notice that over the years, let's just take the, the four-team playoff era. Uh, everybody knows how important the quarterback position is. That's not exactly a hot take. But when you look at the teams that are winning titles and the teams that are making it routinely to the playoff, I will show you teams that have elite wideouts. Uh, give me your top five sets of wide receivers, for example. Maybe there's a, a surprise program that we're not looking at that, that snuck in that top ten. Yeah, and this is one of those where it changed in the last few weeks of the magazine. I had USC probably top ten. Then they go and get the Blitnikoff winner and George Edison and bumped them up to number one. They got four of the top five receivers back. They brought in uh, – they bring in Jordan Addison, they bring in Mario Williams, they bring in Terrell Bynum, they bring in Brendan Rice. Gary Bryan had 579 last year, and he might be third team. He was a leading receiver last year. Just tells you how they upgraded there. But I've got Ohio State number two, no doubt about it. And, you know, we go look at their PS numbers on these players, which is where they rank coming out of high school. They've got a PS number one in Julian Fleming. they got a PS number one in Abika Egbuka. And this is replacing two first-round draft picks from last year. So they are... 
as deep as there can be. I probably have them a little bit higher. If they had a little bit more experience, but they've got their all-time career leader uh, in a single single season in Smith Najiba back at the wide receiver spot. And he outdid two first-round draft picks last year. Number three, I've got Virginia. So if you're looking for that underrated group, you found them in Virginia. Mm. He threw the ball all over the field last year. They've got everybody back. They've got size. They've got speed. They've got everything you want in a receiving course. So I've got them number three. Number four is actually Georgia. And Georgia probably has the best tight end room in the country. Hmm. Now, this uh, my receiving court is not just wide receivers. It's wide receivers, tight ends. And that's why Georgia's up here. They've got three outstanding tight ends that would start for almost anybody else in the country, plus the receivers. And then number five is actually LSU. And uh, Kayshawn Boutte, I think last year, would have been one of the top wide receivers in college football. He is back this year after 509 yards uh, in his first six starts. He's back. They've got plenty of talent there. So I've got LSU number five. And just for you, JC, because you talked about Texas, I got Texas number six there. Uh, yeah, I think that Longhorn's got a pretty good, pretty doggone good receiving core and added to it. Uh, in the ACC, uh, you talk about teams being favored in nearly every game. I, I think Clemson's got a chance to get off to a really good start after a 10-3 and three year last year. They're, the front of their schedule is not that difficult. And um, What do you make of that league? Uh, you know, I, I kind of think Miami and the other division will make some noise. I kind of think North Carolina's younger defensive players will improve this year. And so on that side of the ball, I think the heels will be much improved. But uh, what's your take on the ACC? Yeah, and, and last year with Clemson, uh, you look at the quarterback play, and that was really the key. DJ Uyunglele had a 9-10 ratio. That's not going to cut it. Well, this year when I talked to offense coordinator Brandon Streeter going over the team with him, he said DJ's lost 20 to 25 pounds, going to be more mobile. He also worked very hard on him getting the ball out of his hands. I think that was part of the reason Clemson's offensive line was so maligned last year because he held the ball too long. Those two factors, I think DJ returns to the form he had in 2020 when he was lighting up the defenses of Notre Dame, and I think it was Boston College was the other game he started. And if he isn't as improved as that, they've got Kay Klubnick behind him, my number one quarterback out of high school, who is in for the spring. He's got everything he wants. So I think they're now our solidified at the quarterback position. The offensive line's improved. The receiving core's improved. they got the best defensive line in the country. And I think if you're looking for one unit that really determines national champs, I go with defensive line. I think the defensive line is key. Clemson's got the best in the country. They're solid at uh, linebacker and, and DB as well. And they get the big game in their division, NC State, at home. So I think that's a big plus for Clemson. Now, I agree. Miami is a team that's loaded. When I you know, Mario Cristobal at Oregon did a great job recruiting. In fact, you look at Oregon's roster that they have out there, it's loaded. When I went over the team um, with their new head coach, uh, going Dan Lanning, and uh, going over the team with them, they're just loaded three deep. Tells you what kind of recruiter Cristobal is. Now, what he did at Oregon was he took over a finesse offense, and he turned them into a power team, both offense and defensive line. Talking to Coach Cristobal, he likes what he inherited on both the offense and defensive line this year. In fact, I rate both units in highly in my top units, uh, and the, the defensive line number 13. They also have one of the best quarterbacks in the country, Tyler Van Dyke. They're going to have to fight off Pitt. I think Pitt's going to surprise some folks this year. In fact, Pitt's my number one surprise team this season, but I do have my Miami winning it. They get that key game against Pitt at home. And then if Miami does play Clemson, I give them a chance in that uh, ACC title game. But for the record, I won with Clemson to win the ACC this year. Uh, staying with the ACC, I, I continue to be fascinated 
by the meltdown that is Florida State football. I mean, you lose to Jacksonville State at home. They, they had to do a lot to really just salvage the season as best they could. Obviously, there's a there's a hot seat where where Coach Norvell is concerned. But I mean, how bad is it? Like, you can't tell me they don't have talent in Tallahassee. So, what do you see? What do you forecast there with the Seminoles? Uh, I see them getting back to a bowl game. I put them on my most improved list this year. I've got their defense rated number 17 in the country. Uh, you know, I think when you look at them on the defensive side of the ball, there's just way too much talent. When, when I talk to Coach Norvell, he, he feels that they go six deep at defensive end and six deep at defensive tackle. If you could rotate like that, you're in good shape. The linebacking core is talented. And the secondary as well. you got a guy like uh, Jimmy Robinson at the safety spot, Akeem Dunn. Uh, those are pretty good places to build. I like the way that Jordan Travis emerged as a passing quarterback last year. He went from a 6-6 ratio to a 15-6 ratio. They've got talent at the running back spot. The offensive line's been a major problem for them. They've given up 149 sacks the last four years. I think they'll be improved. Schedule's not easy. They play LSU in the non-conference slate. They play Florida in the non-conference slate. Uh, they play Louisiana in the non-conference slate. None of those games are easy. And they, of course, draw Clemson every single year. But I see them getting back to a bowl game this year, showing a lot of improvement. And I really like the way they played down the stretch last season. What about Group 5? Uh, last year was a banner year to get Cincinnati in uh, the playoff. Do you see a team or teams that have a chance to knock on the door in 2022? I think it's going to be extremely tough. Um, last year was an unusual year in the fact that almost every head coach I talked to, 90% of them said, well, this is the deepest team we've ever had. We are never able to play three teams in the spring. We were able to do that this year. And the reason was COVID. Everybody had 17 to 21 returning starters. The teams that didn't were the powerhouses. Uh, Clemson wasn't even in the ACC title game. Ohio State wasn't even in the Big Ten title game. Oklahoma wasn't even in the Big 12 title game. Heck, Alabama last year lost to Texas A&M, had a close win over Florida where they stopped a two-point conversion, uh, had a close win over LSU, should have lost to Auburn. They needed a miracle comeback in four overtimes to win that one. So the powers were not the powers last year. This year, the powers are now on equal footing. They're no longer much less experienced than everybody else on equal footing, and I think we see a return to the powers. With that said, I think the team that might have the best chance, I'm going with UCF, and I know they were just picked third in the American Conference uh, preseason poll, but they got John Rice Plumey at QB. Last year, they lost Dylan Gabriel early, and the offense sort of went out the window. Uh, they were averaging like 45 points per game, and without him, uh, they averaged like 24. 28 points per game. So they really went downhill, suffered a lot of injuries, both sides of the ball. Those injuries helped them this year because all those injured players are back. The players that took their place are back. So that's a nice plus to have. Plus, Gus Malzahn in his two years is just bringing in P5 transfer on top of P5 transfer. Probably leads the country in the amount of those coming in. And then when you look at the schedule, they get Cincinnati at home. And keep in mind, CF in the bounce house is 30-2 inside the bounce house the last five years. And they avoid and then lead play. So I think UCF has a chance to sneakily run the table, but uh, I don't think a group of five team makes a playoff this year. John Reese Plumley, of course, a former Ole Miss quarterback, played there. Uh, looked like he was going to be the starter for a while when Rich Rodriguez was the offensive coordinator. I think he's a great system fit for what Gus likes to do on offense, Phil, don't you? I absolutely do. I think he's going to have a big year, and, and he has got blazing speed, probably one of the fastest quarterbacks I've ever seen. 
Yeah, he he put on some uh, displays at Ole Miss. If they didn't have a an NFL quarterback behind him in Matt Corral, who knows how it would have worked out for him in uh, Oxford. Wrapping things up with uh, with Phil Steele. By the way, for UCF, it's it's a little more training, little little more pre- preparation for the Big Twelve. They're already talking about life in the Big Twelve. UCF fans are they they are ecstatic about that. With all due respect to the American Phil, I know you always have strong thoughts on the Heisman uh, after Bryce Young. Give me some names that you feel like have a good chance at the award. Yeah, and actually the uh, the front runner in Vegas right now is C.J. Stroud of Ohio State. Uh, Ohio State's got my number one rated offense coming in, and he should put up some huge stats this year. And, and going against Bryce Young is the fact that uh, when you look at him this year, if he doesn't top last year's stats, then everybody thinks he has an off year. And last year's stats was nearly 5,000 yards in a 47-7 ratio. So anything less than that, and he had a down year. And that's why I think he might he's not the favorite coming in. But uh, I'm going to throw three names at you that I think have a chance. I'm going to go with Caleb Williams of USC. Talked about him being my number one quarterback coming to high school. You know that Lincoln Riley develops Heisman winners. He knows Lincoln Riley's system. Played great down the stretch. And if USC goes from four wins to double-digit wins, and he's a big factor, I think he's got a chance. Dylan Gabriel of Oklahoma, as mentioned at UCF in 2019, he had a great year. His offense coordinator is Jeff Levy. Levy's his coordinator now. And I've got Oklahoma favorite in all 12 games. And then finally, how about Will Anderson of Alabama? I think a lot of Heisman Trophy voters out there might be remiss they didn't put him on their ballot. I had him on mine last year. I thought he was the best defensive player in college football. Uh, and I think if Will Anderson has another big year for an undefeated Alabama, number one in the country heading into the Heisman voting, he may just steal some votes and uh, have a shot at the award. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead. Uh, I, I was okay. gonna, I'm gonna throw a wild card at you, Phil, and see what you think. Uh, Alabama as well. Jameer Gibbs, transfer from Georgia Tech. Uh, Georgia Tech did not have a supporting cast for him last year. Uh, heard from some folks in Tuscaloosa. He's tearing it up. Um, if it's not Anderson, it's not Young, it's not Stroud, it's not the guys you mentioned, uh, or Gabriel. Uh, what do you think about that kind of guy being a wild card? Well, I would agree with that. He's got great speed. He's a really good receiver. Uh, and, you know, it's – probably a huge loss when you look at what Georgia Tech lost him because I can tell you uh, going over the team uh, every year with Coach Collins uh, he would just be telling me Jamar Gibbs is a, a best running back in college football and now here he is with Alabama and it could very well be that especially running behind that offensive line you know Bama likes to run the ball uh, I think that would, that's another sneaky pick and the odds have got to be really good on him Phil, it's always an education. It's always great spending time with you. Uh, Again, for those that do not already have the Phil Steele College Football Guide, tell the folks out there how to pick it up. Yeah, I appreciate that, Mike. Uh, Once again, we had to actually run the magazine in two runs this year because of a paper shortage. So the first run went exclusively to Barnes & Nobles. uh, And unfortunately, a lot of them are being sold out across the country. The second run should be hitting all the other stores, Books a Million, Walmarts, places like that. That should be hitting the stores this week. So Barnes & Noble is a safe bet, but then uh, check your other stores as well. The magazine, 352 pages. You can also go online and get it at philsteel.com. That's S-T-E com and up there I put daily blog up. Make sure you check out my my blog every day at philsteel.com. Lots of great football information up there. How many TVs do you have going on uh, your typical college football Saturday? 
I got 12 TVs in front of me, Mike, and uh, sometimes I have to put the computer on for the 13th to catch the other one. But uh, a lot of Diamond Mountain Dew gets me through the day. There you go. You you might be one of the few people that has a higher cable bill than I do right now, and, and that's, uh, that, that, that's saying something. Bill, uh, again, can't say enough. Been a fan of yours for a couple of decades now. Always enjoy our uh, yearly chats. Keep up the great work, and we'll talk to you down the road. Hey, sounds good. Always appreciate our conversations, guys. Love talking football with you. Thanks for having me on. You got it. Be well, Phil. Uh, again, our thanks to Phil Steele. I, I say this every year. It's been unsolicited for for the better part of 20 years, and that is I, I just don't think there's a better magazine out there. Uh, Wendy's, Athlons, all, all do a great job. I usually read at least two every, every offseason in, in preparation for the fall but that's the one you got to have. And I think people have picked up on that. And uh, he's always been kind enough to take time on our a podcast before that, our radio show. So always uh, get chock full of uh, information from Phil Steele. Yeah. And, and you know what I like about him too? It, it, he's not just opinion, you know, he's opinion and data driven. Um, and, and when you pick up his magazine, you know, you, you see his models and what he thinks and, and how he arrived at what he thinks, which is, Get arriving at what he thinks, uh, I think is is critical compared right. to a lot of folks these days. But um, it also allows you, Mike, to kind of draw your own opinions, you know, because you have returning starter information, you have stats. Uh, there, there's just uh, there's a reason people call it the Bible of college football. I have a yeah. a friend on a Power Five coaching staff uh, that we discussed today in the Atlantic Coast Conference. And every year he gets that. He puts it on Facebook. Yeah, the Bible arrived today. So, um, and I think he takes about two days and goes through it. So, um, it, it's very popular, and and I've really enjoyed. I, I know I texted you last week about, it. hey man, it's about time we get Phil on, and you were already on it, you know. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I enjoy our yearly conversations, and he's so gracious with his time, uh, and a tremendous guest. Just loves to loves to chop it up and. Um, I, and I love that about him. So looking forward to next year already. Yeah. And, and I've always said this too, like if, if you're going to be someone who does something like that for a living, you can't just read stuff on the internet. You got to watch a lot of games. And I know he watches because, you know, I do, for example, spring games every year. And, and you're, you know, you're wondering, well, how many people other than the fans of that particular school are watching Phil Steele will tweet, just enjoyed watching the Kentucky spring game or the Mississippi State spring game. Like, he's watching. So <clears throat> it's not just him. I say, always say he's a nuts and bolts guy. I mean that as a compliment. You're not going to beat him on data. But he also watches games, and he talks to coaches, as he mentioned. So he does everything necessary to formulate an educated opinion. I don't care if he projects uh, one through five in the SEC correctly or not, but I value his, where, as you mentioned, the journey he got – to get to that opinion. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's not garbage in, garbage out. It's good data in, and then it's realistic data out. Doesn't always go to form. It'd be boring if it if it did. Um, but that's what I respect. And you heard him say point blank. I think some people might assume this just because AM has been in the news a lot with recruiting, and, and some might be surprised. When I asked him, is you know, is anybody close right now in terms of pure talent, uh, the data that he t- kind of goes with? to Georgia and Alabama. And he said, it's, 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 it's A&M, it's A&M third. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when you start talking fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, I think you could throw all those in a pot and, and pull one out and you're not going to find much difference between them. I, I think the thing with A&M is, is that 
and he, he alluded to this, he may pick them to win the West next year. Uh, they had, they had such a good class, uh, historically good, actually, this past year. Number one in the country, and I think the best ever on paper. They lost all their defensive linemen. Uh, and I'm going to say this again for everybody out there that, that wants to say thinks the Aggies are going to win the SEC this year, and they might because stranger things have happened. It takes a year or two for defensive oh, yeah. linemen to get to – I mean, look at Georgia's D-line last year, man. Nasty. Uh one year earlier, they were giving up 38 and a half to Florida in one half to Florida and Dan right. Mullen and that passing offense, which was historically good. Um, and, and they just put it all together. They, they continue to develop. So uh, I think, you know, a lot of teams, you know, and, and I hope that the narrative after this year, let's say AM goes 10 and three, right? I hope the narrative after this year is. Oh God! Will Jimbo never get over the hump? Because I, I, I pulled up their roster, Mike. I mean, they've lost, and, and they're 123rd in experience, according to Phil. What he just mm-hmm. said. Uh, only nine combined on both sides of the ball are coming back, right. uh, and they're going to be better at quarterback. Uh, obviously, Matt, either Max Johnson or Haynes Keen is an upgrade, and the freshman Jimbo's got, he says, is one of the best he's ever had. So. You know, I I do think they're going to, you know, they may improve on last year's record, but uh, I just hope that people don't, you know, look at A&M this year and go, ah, they're wasting talent or something, because you have to understand in the trenches, you know, those guys are going to be great, but they may take some lumps their first year, you know, against some of the older and better teams in the league. Yeah, and then you you have another player, a key player, get in trouble. Uh, yeah. right, right around the start of uh, SEC media days and Anaya Smith. And, and we don't even know the quarterback's going to be. My my money is on Max Johnson, um, mm-hmm. but th- that's not in stone. That's a battle. That's one of three or four teams in the SEC that, as of today, you don't know who the starting quarterback is going to be. So, yeah, I, I mean, I don't think A&M's a legitimate threat to win the SEC this year. I think that's that's uh, <laughs> that's a little bit out there. I understand where it's coming from. But but certainly what they are doing is taking the proper steps with the influx of talent. And mm-hmm. that's that's indisputable. I, I, I will end on this. Uh, you know, I posed this question on a show a year ago and I'm going to add to it because going into last season, uh, Carolina hires for those that are listening outside the southeast, that's South Carolina. I know we have listeners all over the country mm-hmm. Uh, habits are, I still refer to the Gamecocks as Carolina. Um, Carolina hires Shane Beamer, Tennessee hires Josh Heupel. And at the time I posed the question in three years, which program is going to be in better shape with their respective coach? I thought that was a nice little brain twist type thing. And, and they both, I would say they both had a hell of a debut in 2022. Excuse me, 2021. Now I would add if you want to, if you want to add to the pot, I would add Billy Napier of Florida. And let's say in 2025, of those three programs, which one is going to be in the best shape? And I think that the answer to that question is going to be the answer to some other things because I do think of it, everything is cyclical. I don't think five years from now, Georgia is going to have this big of a gap over everybody in the East. That's assuming we even have divisions, which I think is doubtful. Five years mm-hmm. from now, um, but but the the gap that is Georgia versus Florida, Tennessee, Carolina, Kentucky, I don't think it's going to be that big. I could be wrong, but I think at least one of those schools is going to step it up 
to a to a unique level. I just don't know which one it's going to be. And I don't think it's going to be all three because that's there's only so many great players to to go around that can make that kind of an impact. So something to think about just kind of moving forward. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And uh, I think some SEC fans may look at you and say, whoever Auburn hires next. (laughs) (laughs) 20 by the time 2025 gets here, because that's uh, That's a whole other podcast. Yeah, we'll talk about – I want to talk about Auburn uh, here in the next couple of weeks. So, uh, Because looking at their schedule, I just – they have a chance to start 5-0 and with wins over Penn State and LSU, and that will change the narrative on the plane. So, Brian – and they've got players still on their roster. So, Brian Harson, don't uh, don't write his own bit yet, man. Don't yeah. write his own bit yet. And you know how things change down there quickly. Uh, <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving. I mean, it was <laughs> Tennessee for a while. Looks like they've kind of stabilized. They're, they've kind of moved to DEFCON 5 for, for at least for a while. Uh, but Auburn, shoot. It's never boring there on the plane. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that's going to be a fascinating storyline throughout the season. I mean, week in, week out, Auburn football and Brian Harson. I mean, you got some people picking Auburn dead last in the West. I know. I, I would – even you look at like ESPN's FPI, they have Auburn in the top ten uh, because they've got a lot of players coming back. Yeah. And uh, Gus Malzahn always kind of re- – he recruited top 10 to 15 every year. Yeah, I know Harson's recruiting classes have not been ranked that high so far, uh, but he hadn't been there that long. So, you know, we'll see. I, I still have a suspicion that he's kind of a fish out of water higher, um, you know, but uh, – and even if he has a good year at Auburn, I could see, unlike Gus who, you know, you had to have a stick of dynamite and $40 million to get him out. Uh, you know, Gus could have gone to Arkansas many t- several times and, and just left it all behind. Uh, unlike Gus, you know, you wait. Harson, let's say Herm Edwards gets fired at ASU or something, and he has a like an eight and four year at Auburn. I I, I could see him saying, "Ah, I'm heading back, um, heading back west." So um, you know, who knows? Well, it, who knows? It, if if things don't go his way, it would have a Joe Moorhead vibe, wouldn't it? Yes, like very if, if, much so. You know, it's, if it's the kind of year you're talking about, it would be less about, well, he doesn't know what he's doing or his scheme. It would just be, well, he's not a good fit, which is yeah. what people came to the conclusion with Joe Moorhead. It's just not a good fit. And so uh, it, it was a time you would, that was inconceivable to declare that in two years or even less than two years and make a coaching change. But we know that's not inconceivable anymore. It happens. Not it does. Just, it just happens for sure. All right, we went through a whole podcast without mentioning without mentioning NIL and very little talk about conference realignment. So let let's score that as a win. And we we've, we've got uh hopefully a special guest. I won't uh, promote it until it's locked down next week for you and we'll just uh, keep on keeping on much like uh I gave Phil Steele a chance to plug his magazine. JC, how about a chance for you to plug this fine podcast? Number 169. Absolutely. And I want to tell everybody we have social media channels up that are hot right now. <laughs> uh, follow us on Instagram at JC and Morgan. Uh, follow us on Twitter at JC and Morgan, I think is the, is the handle there too. Uh, and then Facebook is at JC and Morgan. I, I think Instagram is actually at JC and Morgan Pod. Uh, but uh, you can find us right there. Good content. You know, we, we have pictures of Mike's life 
uh, <laughs> that, that we have on our story. Oh, and Lord. Stuff from around college football. Uh, our Facebook page always has interesting, relevant articles. In fact, now that I know Phil has a blog, uh, I'm probably going to start linking up some Phil still. So go yeah. like that page. Uh, also on Apple, on iTunes, uh, used to be called iTunes, Apple Podcast now. We'd appreciate it if you go over there, rate us five stars, uh, put a review on there if you'd like. Uh, you know, I, I will warn you that uh, sometimes if I read a negative review, I, I may get mad and throw a temper tantrum, but, <laughs> but probably not. Uh, I've never read a bad review of JC and Morgan. So uh, go over there because that helps us get up there in rankings. It helps expand our audience and stuff. And also, you know, simply tell a friend. Uh, if you're a college football fan uh, in the South, especially kind of you know, outside of the SEC East footprint, Florida, South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, if you're kind of over toward Alabama and Mississippi. I know uh, I promote us on Tuscaloosa Radio uh, every weekend. Mike's on Sirius and all over the network. But, uh, you know, we need more Mississippi State, Mississippi fans, LSU fans, uh, Arkansas people, uh, A&M, even Texas and Oklahoma now. I know we got a couple of loyal Longhorns. That's why I try to always mention them. So go tell your buddies because we enjoy having uh, everybody. And, uh, heck, I even, you know, tell people in Chicago about it. And, you know, they're like, ah, well, we love the Big Ten. Well, we talked a lot of Big Ten today. So yep. go, gra- go grab you a beef sandwich and a hot dog with sport peppers on it and uh, munch away mm. and listen to some mm. Big Ten college football. Maybe very, very hungry as we reach the yeah. uh, the late lunch hours. And you've got you've got JC and Morgan swag in the in the midst. Is it, it's coming? Yeah, we're gonna have t shirts, hats, uh, man, oh, man. magnets, car magnets for you guys to represent when you're going to tailgate. Uh, oh, we're gonna need a bigger boat. It's coming, it's coming, and uh, you know we're gonna have some like prize giveaways and stuff too. Where if you uh, on Twitter interact with us uh, during the uh, recording of the podcast, we'll we'll send you like a car magnet or a, a t shirt or something like that. I like so, it. Got I a lot like of it. got a lot of good stuff planned for the podcast. A lot of things uh, on the horizon. As always, we thank our uh, sponsor, Blue Delta Jeans, BlueDeltaJeans.com. Uh, best pair of jeans I've ever owned in my life. The best pair you'll ever own in yours. Custom made. They last a lifetime. The folks there do a terrific job. They're based in SEC territory over there in uh, Oxford, Mississippi. I've actually been over there to their uh, showroom a couple of times over the years. That's going to do it for us. Our thanks again to Phil Steele. We'll be back with you next week for JC. This is Mike saying so long for now. Thanks for tuning in to JC and Morgan.